0: Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to another episode of Role Models Juicy Conversations with Beautiful Humans. I'm Jennifer Norman, founder of the Human Beauty Movement, and your host. This podcast thrives on your support. So if you like what you hear, follow us, rate us, review us, and share this episode with everyone you know across your networks. Okay, so today we are going to get down to business. My guest is the one and only David Meltzer. David's motto is make a lot of money help a lot of people, have a lot of fun. And boy, does he live by those words. David is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing. He formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. David is a Forbes top 10 speaker. He has been recognized by Variety Magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year and awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. He's also the executive producer of the Apple TV series, Two Minute Drill, and Office Hours. And most of all, David's life mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. And I, for one, am delighted to do my part to help him achieve that goal. Welcome, David.
1: Thank you for the beautiful and soulful introduction. I feel so at ease with that introduction and just humbled to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I am delighted. And, you know, this podcast is called Role Models, and you are truly that for so many people. I would love for you to share your story and why, as a business leader, you decided that your most important job was to empower people to be happy.
1: Sure. Well, you know, to be a role model takes one thing, to be an intelligent follower. And my journey has taught me how to utilize radical humility instead of ignorant arrogance of living in a world of scarcity, of not enough. And I was born into that world. I had a single mom with six kids who just wanted her kids to be successful and happy. And I took a different turn on that. I wanted to be rich. I thought money would buy me the happiness that for me and also maybe buy her happiness by buying her a house and a car. And as I went through that scarce journey of things happening to me as a victim and understanding why me, I then nine months out of law school became a millionaire. I got involved in technology, despite my mom telling me the internet was a fad. I didn't believe her. And after law school worked in the internet, and by the time I was 30, I'd moved from a world of not enough where things happened to me to a world of for me. And this is a world that a lot of people live in and they think they're abundant because they give to charity. They give to receive. Everything's a negotiation. It's a trade. I always say they're buying things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. And I lived in this world for two decades, uh, made over $100 million, married my dream girl, had three beautiful daughters, and I needed to learn a lesson. And so in 2008, pain as an indicator, setbacks, failures, and mistakes all set upon me to indicate that I had a better place to be, that no longer do I need to live in a world of punishment where things happen to me, a scarce world of not enough. No longer did I have to live in this world of just enough for me, trading and negotiating my way to buy things I don't need to impress people I don't like. But instead, I lost over a hundred million dollars to propel me protect me and promote me into an abundant world of more than enough, a world of more than enough for everything, for everyone that comes through me, not to me or for me, but through me for others. And I've been living in that world of more than enough, even though I lost everything in 2008 here for the last 14 years, living in abundance with faith, there's more than enough of everything for everyone.
0: And it is such a beautiful and soulful way to live. It feels so much more fulfilling than anything that money can buy. There's nothing wrong with money. It's just literally what you're using it in terms of how you're putting your energy into it and in using it through you, as you were saying.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Money allows you to shop.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: what you're shopping for. If you're shopping for things for the right reasons, for the right purpose, you're going to be happy. If you're shopping for the wrong things to impress people, I promise you there'll be void shortages and obstacles and lessons coming your way.
0: Absolutely. Now you've been a business leader, you continue to be a business leader, and you continue to mentor and coach other business leaders as well with a very different mindset than you've had before. And so I would love just based on your perspective of what you've seen over the past couple of decades, you know, what has been the biggest evolution you think in leadership?
1: For me, it was that shift in a paradigm of leadership that so many leaders are trying to talk to people and great leaders are listening for what people need when they lead. They're intelligent followers, I suggest. They are trying to provide value through appreciation Mm -hmm. by living in a value-add world, not a zero-sum world. So many leaders you know, get mistaken of the three components of leadership. See, most of them think that being a great leader means being a great coach, meaning I need to bring the best out of you. I need to push you. I need to micromanage you. I need to force things to happen. They don't realize there's two other components to leadership as it's evolved over the years mm-hmm. from the hardcore Lombardi type of coach, bringing the best out of everyone to want a mentor you know, a great leader is a mentor, someone that will sit in a situation that you want to be in and give you directions. And then also being a great teacher, knowing as an intelligent follower, knowing what people are listening for, being able to take the time to explain and teach how to follow those directions in order to get to where they want to be. And knowing the appropriate time And emotion to utilize coaching, meaning we still need a third coaching. We need people to bring the best out of us, to challenge us, to push us, to constructively criticize us in order to make us better, to propel us and protect us by teaching us, mentoring us, and coaching us. Mm.
0: And it seems like boards are starting to wake up, leadership is starting to wake up to this notion, but sometimes the company itself, because of a culture of scarcity that it has had for a long standing time, is not so easy to shift. What would you say to people at the higher levels of an organization if a business has been operating for a number of years in an old paradigm profit at any cost kind of a way? What would you do in order to enter in and make these radical changes and get people on board to reshaping a company in a well-managed way?
1: Yeah, so culture is like... Interest, it compounds. Mm -hmm. So I would utilize Einstein's rule of 72 to show how behaviors compound in their interest, and that we need to shift behaviors, good behaviors, and shift the bad behaviors from the past. We need to unlearn certain things. But mathematically, I would show how these good behaviors compound into having more engagement, more productivity, more accessibility, more gratitude. And more profits. Obviously, in a corporate setting, we're looking for bottom line improvements. And so we would utilize the approach of by the aggregate effect of behaviors by creating a culture based off of similar values, by creating daily practices that are aligned in the trajectory of what we want, especially with equity and inclusion, which have proven economically to be a better way to co-create in a corporate culture. I would show the aggregate effect, the compound interest of behaviors and values the same way that Einstein illustrates it with interest. And believe it or not, behaviors compound in aggregate the same way as money compounds in aggregates. The only difference is good behaviors. We expect instant results and bad behaviors. We never think there's going to be a result. Mm -hmm. And so we have to shift that mindset to understand having the patience, the passion and the purpose in order to attain long-term sustainable profitability.
0: Lovely. Lovely. Now you have previously stated that your wife saved you like at the point where you were at rock bottom, feeling empty and unhappy with your life. You had a woman who was kind of the wind beneath your wings. Can you tell us about this majestic soul that is your life partner?
1: Yeah, I still have her. And every day I am so grateful that she is my intimate best friend, partner, soulmate. And so she did save my life because there's a book out there that I love to read. It's called Don't Take Yes for an Answer. And one of the things that happens when you have everything you dreamed of and you surround yourself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, the people with the wrong ideas surround yourself with yes. Everybody just tells you yes. Oh my gosh, you're incredible. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Well, my wife told me no. I came home one night, 5.30 in the morning after lying to her. I was with a rapper named Little John Parting and came home at 5.30 in the morning and my wife told me she wasn't happy. She was going to leave me, that I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become because I was going to end up dead if I didn't. And she did not. She loved me too much to be around that, have my three gorgeous daughters who are under 10 at that time, witness this fall. And if it wasn't for her telling me no, telling me she was going to leave me and what I needed to do to to change my life, I probably would have been dead. And to this day, she's still my rock, my sounding board, my inspiration. I get choked up talking about it because it truly changed my life. And there's not one day I go to bed or wake up without feelings if I'm one of the luckiest people on earth mm-hmm. because my neighborhood is my frequency and she's my closest neighbor.
0: Oh, wow, that is so beautiful. So beautiful. You are also a big fan of Wayne Dyer and his teaching. So you focus is important and you've deeply studied the power of intention. Can you share how focus has also impacted your life and your career?
1: Yeah, well, focus is one of the common denominators in the mathematical equation of happiness. And let me explain that to you. What we pay attention to, what we focus in on, plus what we give intention to, and there's five levels of intention. What we do aligned with what we think we want. What we say aligned with what we think we want. What we think aligned with what we think we want. What we believe aligned with what we think we want. And of course, what we feel aligned with what we think we want. And if you take what you focus in on what you pay attention to and add the five levels of intention, it equals something called coincidence. The universe will coincide for what you think you want and deliver something equal to, or better than what you think you want. You are living in a universe of more than enough protected and promoted by a source an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent source that loves you more than your mom. So if there's pain, mistakes, or setbacks, they're just propelling you, indicating to you, you got a better place to be. So remind, remember, and recollect what we want to focus in on, what we're going to give our intention to, to create those coincidences in our lives.
0: Mm. And that's those are beautiful words. I know that on your path of empowering people to happiness, that is a very big key to the success of becoming happy. Yet there are so many people that really feel like they want to get there. They're struggling. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of fearfulness in the world and they can't seem to get beyond these points of feeling overwhelmed. Do you have any words of advice aside from that powerful five that can help people as they're looking to really dive into what makes them happy and what makes their soul sing?
1: Absolutely. I created five daily practices, which I love to send to everyone. You can email me david at dmelzer.com so you can Put it in the notes as well but jennifer these five daily practices allow me to prioritize you see prioritization is the antidote to procrastination but it's also the antidote to overwhelmness see when i feel overwhelmed i know the issue is prioritizing when i feel overwhelmed i say thank you because that means i have more than enough options opportunities and touches of favor my interference is actually, I don't know what to prioritize with all these options opportunities and touches of favor. And so I go back to a rudimentary five daily practices of what was it I wanted today, personally, experientially giving and receiving an trajectory to what I think I want in the future, who can I help and who can help me with what I want and how best I get it done, prioritizing what's important to me. You see, if you know what you want, it's a possibility. If you know who you can help you, it's a probability. When we figure out how, through productivity, accessibility, and gratitude, it becomes our perception. And when we prioritize, it becomes our reality. So I utilize the five daily practices of what, who, how, and now to apply my why in order to effectuate overcoming with prioritization, the antidote, in other words, of feeling overwhelmed.
0: Mm. I remember hearing you speak about the fact that, you know, conscientiousness and this love of spirituality does not necessarily mean that you have to be a hippie smoking weed all day laying on your parents couch. It does not mean that, you know, the universe is going to come to you. If you don't do anything about it, you actually have to get up and do something about it, but take that inspired action. That one always made me chuckle.
1: (laughs) I agree. So many people use the word busy and I always say. Most busy people are high, sick, and broke on their mom's couch. Find active people that know how to prioritize their activities that they have planned. They don't have planned in their sleep and stuff will get done. You ask a busy person to do something, not a chance. You ask an active person to do it. You have a high statistical success in getting it done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think are people's biggest blocks to making a lot of money?
1: Oh, that's simple. So we receive an energetic and genetic inheritance And we allow our egos to edge gold out of our life, to edge goodness out of our life. And so I teach a four-step process to clear the interference between what people are trying to get, more wealthy and more worthy, more healthy. And what I tell them through this four-step process is you are healthy, you are happy, you are wealthy, you are worthy. What are you doing to interfere with it? And it's the ego that interferes with it. And so I train them to identify the needs of the ego, the need to be right, the need to be offended, the need to be separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful. And I teach them instead of to resist it and fight it, to lie to it, cheat it and deny it, simply stop, breathe through in the nose, out through the mouth, go down to center, take away the dis-ease and put yourself into a position of ease. And then Roll into the trajectory of what, who, how, and now. So, in other words, when your mind, your body, and soul are on fire with that anxiety, with that ego, you all know when you're on fire, you got to stop, drop, and roll.
0: David Meltzer, wise words, all golden, in my opinion. It was such a pleasure to speak to you today. You are a role model in my book.
1: Thank you so much for allowing me to utilize your platform and your community to empower others to be happy, to teach and to empower how to make a lot of money, to live in abundance, to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Please, everyone, remember, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thank you, Jennifer, for the opportunity. I'll see you soon.
0: Thank you, David.